1: This is Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network, and I am your host, Mark. And today's guest brings me back to a simpler time. Welcome, Natalie Gordon of Telenovela. I learned about her family connection to radio and her parents' decision that she should be a concert pianist after they inherited a piano when she was five. Well, while Natalie may have disagreed, it is what got her into singing and steered her to a performing arts high school after getting kicked out of her previous school, and that's where she took secret guitar lessons. She formed the band Agent Ribbons where everything was first time DIY. So they may have overdone a few things, maybe took a wrong turn or two. For example, after building up a following in California, moving to Texas because of two Weimar honors. And Natalie tells the story of the event that spelled the end of Agent Ribbons, but how it simultaneously spawned telenovela. And it's still a roller coaster ride. They weren't happy with the way things were going, and Natalie left music for about three years but leave it to good old PBR to bring you back in. That's a beer for those who don't know. But the Paps Connection actually helped shape the sound of the band. Telenovela has a new album out called Poet's Tooth. The music is reminiscent of great western sound I, and my dad, actually grew up on, like Marty Robbins. Listening to it makes me feel like I'm right there with the band in Lockhart, Texas. It's on Kill Rockstars, so grab it, download it, stream it, follow... Tela underscore novella underscore texas on instagram telenovela on facebook and we are at performance anx on the socials get our merch at performanceanx.threadless.com. there's a new design up there you might like coffee can be shared at ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety now let's take a walk through the west with natalie gordon of telenovela on performance anxiety on the pantheon podcast network
2: Are you ready this is natalie from telenovela we just released a new record called poet's tooth and i hope you enjoy my interview about the record here on the Perf- performance anxiety podcast i'm gonna do it one more because I, I got shaky is that like normal though is that how people do it okay so those were that wording is fine okay let's try it again this is Natalie from Telenovela. We just released a new record called Poet's Tooth, and I hope you enjoy my interview about the record here on the Performance Anxiety Podcast.
3: Yes. Okay. The way I normally like to start these things is to find out how you got into music in the be- in you know, in the first place. Like, was it a, a big thing in your house growing up or were, were you like forced into lessons or, you know, uh, did your parents play a lot of music? How did music have an influence in you, on you as a kid? I
2: was totally one of the people that was forced into lessons.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: nice. Um
2: My family are all pretty big music fans, but they're really mostly interested in classical and jazz. My grandfather owned the first jazz radio station in Sacramento, California. Oh, wow. And and had quite a huge uh, jazz record collection when I was growing up as a kid. And then I think when I was around five, we got a piano. We inherited it from a family member. And so my mom signed me up for lessons at age five. Oh, wow. And I had a love hate relationship with it. Uh, my parents were really strict and would make me practice pretty hardcore every day because they kind of wanted me to be a concert pianist. And so, you know, I didn't share that vision for myself, but I did enjoy a lot of things about playing piano. And I think in my early sort of preteen years, I started really getting into kind of more like alternative pop music, like Tori Amos and Fiona Apple. Oh, yeah. So I started playing all of their songs on the piano and like kind of getting the guts to sort of sing along with it. Oh, wow. And, okay. um, yeah. And that was definitely my start. I really only played piano until I was about 16. And then basically what happened, the long and short of it is I got, a, I got, Pretty much expelled from my high school, which is a long story. (laughs) Um, And my parents were like, okay, you know, you're going to one of these hardcore private schools, even though we barely have any money. We're straightening you out, kid. Oh, man. And uh, yeah, it was a situation that was really scary because I knew that if I went to one of those schools, I'd really get picked on. Um, And so I found out about this experimental performing arts, like, like charter school. And you had to audition to get accepted, but it was still a public school since it was a charter school. They could use public school money. Okay. So I auditioned on piano and I got in. And when I started going to that school, my grades got a lot better. And they let me secretly start learning how to play
3: guitar. That's secretly um, playing guitar? To my parents. <laughs> oh, man.
2: And so I kind of that's really where I basically dropped piano and, and
3: switched to guitar.
2: I, it was a secret at first, and eventually it was like, all right, the jig's up. <laughs> this is what I really want to do, you know?
3: Yeah, the dream you had for me at five, I'm kind of dropping. <laughs> I don't think a whole lot of five year olds yeah. dream of being concert pianists. I think that's pretty unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a dream I had at five, at least. I, I don't know. So was that the time that you really focused on music and thought this is something you're going to pursue or is it more of I don't mm-hmm. say a hobby, but more more of a, of, of something you thought you could do, but you're still looking at other options professionally.
2: Um, I think, I, I think I probably thought that I wanted to pursue it professionally, but I really wasn't the type of kid to super be thinking ahead that much in that <laughs> way. I, I, I really on one hand probably didn't totally believe that it was like a viable career path but and then on the other hand I had no other plans oh, other wow. than to play music. so you know I mean that was 16 by the time I was 18 and I graduated I tried I went to city college because I was really unclear about what the hell I wanted to do and I tried to do the whole music major path um not knowing if I wanted to teach music or whatever it was Uh-oh. and I was bored out of my mind entirely with all of the theory classes and all these like midi interface boring as hell to me oh jeez! so I was like I gotta do something else <laughs> like this is not gonna work <laughs> and I switched to an art history major and really enjoyed going to school for that but Ultimately, I ended up dropping out of college like three years in to just be in a rock band.
3: Oh, wow. And okay. this is all happening in, in the Sacramento area still? That's where you grew mm-hmm. up, right?
2: Yeah. Okay. I, I was in Sacramento until I basically right when I turned 25, I relocated to Austin, Texas.
3: Okay. Okay. So what is the, or at that point, I guess, maybe what was the music scene in there? What was, what was the predominant? music being played in the in, in in your group in in your in your area
2: um in sacramento let's see i mean it was really all over the place it was a pretty interesting scene in my opinion it was it was a little bit of a lot of things like i don't know if you're familiar with the artist chelsea wolf but she's oh, really big now i, I love chelsea Link, yeah we would play like the same gigs in this like little coffee shop called luna's cafe all the time and this is for years, she hadn't really gotten fully into this sort of like metal-y sound that she's doing now, Yeah, but it was still like dark folk okay. that she was doing, and she was mostly just playing by herself with the guitar. In fact, my band at the time in Sacramento, it was called Agent Ribbons, and we started in 2006, and we actually opened for Chelsea for our very first show. I still have a poster of it. Oh, that is so And cool. we had a song called Chelsea, Let's Go Join the Circus that was about a conversation she and I had about... The show Carnival, which we are both really obsessed with. That's, I heard that. That is a cool
3: song.
4: Chelsea, let's go join the circus. I will take the trapeze. You can tame the lions, and while we are the show is over. We'll stay up all night. Slap your knees and drink your wine. Park your trailer next to
3: mine. They say we know
4: how to have a good time. It, oh, you heard it? Yeah. Did oh, your
3: homework? Yes.
2: Um, it's funny that's coming up because I haven't played that song in years, and I'm actually about to do a live rendition of it after we do our interview. Oh, wow. For like an old school fan cuz her and her partner Chelsea are about to have their 6 month anniversary. Oh wow. So. So I'm doing that video with a little shout out for them. It's That's like so cool. Kind of embarrassing but I'm going to have to relearn it real quick. <laughs> real quick.
3: <laughs> I got to relearn saying nah, no big deal I've done in like 5 minutes. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors.
5: And use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's Factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off.
3: Before you skip over this ad, give me one minute. Like most podcasts, I pick sponsors carefully and I use the products that advertise here. Pure Spectrum CBD is a product that has been really beneficial for me. They have a wide variety of great products that can be used on a daily or as-needed basis. I've been using the Tincture every day, and it's been wonderful for easing anxiety. And I absolutely love the Isolate. I use it instead of acetaminophen or ibuprofen, and it's worked so well for the relief of aches and pains. They also have soaks, lotions, salves, gummies, and more, plus an entire line for fitness recovery. They even have products for your pets. See everything they offer at PureSpectrumCBD.com. And if you have questions, they're there to help. They helped me when I had no idea where to start. After you fill your cart, use code PERFORMANCEANX for 15% off your purchase. Pure Spectrum CBD, Pure Spectrum CBD, Pure Spectrum CBD.
2: But yeah, so Chelsea Wolf was out there. There was a band that I really loved that was like kind of like hip-hop, electronica, sometimes even kind of weirdly folky, which is hard to say why, but it just sort of was. Um, And they were called Sister Crayon, and it was the first incarnation of a band that exists now called Rituals of Mine. Oh, Um, interesting, okay. But my friend Tara Lopez was in Sister Crayon for years. That was a big Sacramento act. There's a really great band called Two Sheds um, it was super beautiful. Oh. I want to say Rusty Miller was in that band, who I think also plays with the guy from Granddaddy. Man, I know oh, I'm forgetting God. a million things right now, but it was actually a really vibrant, beautiful, happening little scene. So I was lucky.
3: Okay, because I was curious because the sound of um, Agent Ribbons is kind of like an. I don't even. I don't. all I don't say all country, but maybe you know it was. It was little folky, little, little rock, little uh, alternative. And so I was just, I'm always curious to see how, how you guys fit and, and was easier for you to, to get gigs and, you know, did you you do much outside of your area? That kind of stuff always fascinates me.
2: Yeah. I would say we didn't fit in with um, the rest. I mean, we were embraced, but musically we were our own weird little thing that kind of had like a punk rock ethos to it but it was still this sort of like yeah like folky songs where I was kind of doing this like Judy Garland thing at the same time I don't really think I knew exactly what I was and it's and it is actually like pretty different in many ways to what I'm doing now even though there's some common threads oh yeah definitely but we were probably a band for about a year, and then we booked our very first U.S. tour, which was like a two-month tour, because I had no idea how long a tour was supposed to be. Right. Uh, that was a little overkill. <laughs> and. and so we were like really living by the seat of our pants on this like piss poor tour where we were making very little money Mm. and about halfway through the tour we found out that the band cake wanted us to go on tour with them oh wow and they're a sacramento band as well and so when we got home from that tour we immediately started planning this really big u.s tour opening for cake and that was so awesome and such a big opportunity for us. Cause we were playing really huge rooms yeah. when we'd never done anything like that before.
3: That's awesome. Cause I, I can actually see how the, those, you, you two, the two bands would fit together on a on an, that'd be a, a really cool bill. <laughs> it did kind
2: of work. Like it's, they're very, I mean, I don't think they get enough credit for being as idiosyncratic as they are. They really created their own sound and they got so big that I feel like sometimes I encounter this attitude from people like they're mainstream sounding, but just because they made it really big, they really don't necessarily have a mainstream sound and they really like created their own niche. And I have a lot of respect for them for that.
3: They really um, I was did. a fan
2: before we toured with them.
3: Sorry, what was that? I was going say they really did because, I mean, you think of, of the songs that everybody knows, like Going the Distance, and it's just, it's, it's still unique sounding. I mean, it's still nothing yeah. like it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like
2: classic country. It's a rock band. They have little influences of like hip hop sometimes in a very like, by way of Beck sort of pass. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's its own sound for sure. So yeah, we, after about a year, year and a half of being a band, we did our own tour. Then we were out of Sacramento doing all that on the East Coast and the West Coast. That was huge. And then years went by and we also toured with this really amazing Scottish band that I love called Camera Obscura. They took us...
3: I've heard of um, that, I think. Or I've just heard of... They're great. They're really dreamy. I also, I I was a photo major, so maybe I'm thinking of the actual Camera Obscura. I don't (laughs) know. (laughs)
2: Well, you should check it out if you don't know them. I think my favorite song by them is called Razzle Dazzle Rose. Oh, cool. I'll definitely Uh, check it out. But we toured with them. And then somewhere after that, we basically just started to realize that maybe we wanted to move to Austin because we had added a fiddle player to the band who lived in Austin. And we were flying her out for all these tours. Oh, wow. Wow. And she had two, like, Weimaraners, and she was just like, man, I can't move to California. So we were like, well, shoot, should we move to Texas? And that's kind of what took us there. Okay. Um, so that was sort of our trajectory with how we ended up not in California.
3: Okay, so, so you moved to, to Texas before Telenovela then. Okay. Definitely, yeah. I was looking at the, the timelines, and so Agent Ribbon's last album or well, release came, you know, what, uh, was it 2012, 2013? Yeah, I think 2012. And then less than a year or so, Telenovela came out with the first single. So what caused the end of Agent Ribbons and the beginning of Telenovela?
4: <laughs>
3: so... 2012, we put out
2: a little EP, which I really wish we didn't. I wish we would have recorded a couple more songs and made it a record. I super regret that. For Agent Ribbons. Um, For Agent Ribbons, yeah. Uh We put out Family Haircut and I think it was like seven songs. Um, So we should have just made three more songs and did a record, but that's not what (laughs) happens. We were just, you know, when we moved to Texas, it really wasn't the best decision for Agent Ribbons. We had built up a lot of clout on the West Coast, and we toured up and down the coast so often that we really had kind of like a devout little following going on. And when we moved to Texas, it was really like starting all over again. Uh Uh, The scene really embraced us in many ways, but it was they still didn't know who the heck we were, and we were just kind of a brand new band as far as Texas was concerned. So... You know, it was kind of rough and we were both sort of starting new lives, like constantly moving around, like Lauren and I, when we went on that tour, it was hard because I feel like neither of us were really in the mentality to be wanting or ready to be on the road again because we were still kind of nesting and figuring out, out our new lives. Yeah. But I was like kind of being a hard ass. I was like, we need to do this. And then Lauren was like, oh, I think I want to tour last. And we did this long tour and it was, you know, there's some great shows, but there's some really difficult moments.
3: Yeah.
2: And we just were like bickering and having a rough time and facing some like difficult financial decisions. And it was already not the best. And then at the very end in Memphis, we got in a car accident that totaled our car and Lauren broke her arm. Oh no. And it was just like this disastrous end. And we had like, this big show waiting for us in Austin that we had to cancel. We were opening for Tilly and the Wall. We were so bummed. And basically it just kind of like accidentally became the end of the band. Like she needed to stay longer. I ended up going back to Austin after staying in Memphis for a couple of days and I wasn't sure what was going on. And even before she told me, I kind of just knew that she didn't want to do it anymore. But then she told me, and I was like, "Okay." So I told our label, "Like, hey, I think that's it." And they said, "Oh no, you don't! South by Southwest is coming up, and you're our headlining act for our, uh, our showcase. You better figure something out." Oh wow! And I was like, "Oh god, this is so little time." And so within four months, uh, I was dating Jason. We had been together for maybe a year at that point, and he was in an amazing band called Bel Air. And so basically Bel Air at the time became my band. It was Jason, Matt on drums, a woman named Carrie, who was playing the keys and singing the vocal harmonies. We cobbled together telenovela. We wrote almost all new material and only played like two Adrian Ribbon songs. Oh, wow. And then that South by Southwest show was our very first gig as telenovela. Oh my God. And it was so well received that then we won a contest that, the studio in olympia washington dub narcotic through a contest where if you won the contest you got five free days of recording time at dub narcotic studios oh wow
0: There's,
2: they're basically the the recording studio of like k records and we won the contest and so basically on the heels of that south by southwest show we booked a little tour up there to record a, our first cp oh my it was kind of like bing bang boom wow so that's how that band started and it was very very fast and awesome how
3: it came together honestly that wow yeah that's that's a whirlwind right there (laughs) which i guess maybe you know fitting for texas yeah maybe it is (laughs) you know is that throughout all of your music, I'm, I'm feeling and, and, and hearing just from every band and and Jason's stuff too, a love of music from the 50s and the 60s and all. There's really this, this uh, I would say almost like an homage to what I think it sounds like in some of your favorite music. And it's not one of those things where you hear like a rockabilly band or something and it almost sounds... Like a parody, or, or just yeah, t- throwback. Yeah, a little, little, a little too cheesy. The- you guys, <laughs> you guys don't do that at all. You, you, you're paying respect to the music, and I think that's one of the things I love most about telenovela for sure. But both of you guys' previous bands, it's really cool. But the I appreciate very, that the very first release for telenovela that I heard. At- Our very first release was an EP called uh, Cosmic Dial Tone. Okay. Okay. So,
2: but that wasn't our first album. So I don't know if that's what you're talking about. But uh, that was our oh, first.
3: Don't be a stranger is what I'm th- what I'm thinking. Oh of. yeah. Okay. So, other than your voice, it doesn't sound like the same band at all. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so much more like psychedelic and, and all. It, yeah. It's amazing. So was that based on having to to put things together so fast?
2: I think so. I think. Definitely. I think that when I when Agent Ribbons broke up, I think my immediate thought was like, okay, I have Bel Air as basically the band for this project. And they're all really ripping musicians. Yeah. And I was like, I'm gonna seize this opportunity to go in a different direction, which with Agent Ribbons, you know, I wasn't I wasn't and still am not a very strong guitar player. I'm totally self taught. And oftentimes, I, I mean, I usually don't even know what chord I'm playing. I'm, like, <laughs> sounding it out just based on what I know from piano. Okay. And then Lauren did not play drums at all until we put this band together, until we put Agent Ribbons together. And so she had no experience on drums. And we kind of were just, you know, doing the best with what we had. And so that's why it kind of had this, I think, free-spirited sort of ramshackle feel to it. Okay. And so okay. with telenovella, I was really keen on like pushing myself to try and make more challenging music that didn't sound ramshackle. And I and I knew that I had players that were capable of being like kind of a more put together cohesive sound. Mm-hmm. And so I I was just in this mindset of like I wanted to write strong poppy music, with just really good arrangements where I could take advantage of the really good musicianship of the people I was working with. And so I hadn't really carved out the actual aesthetic of what I wanted to do yet. I just kind of knew structurally how I wanted it to sound. And so that first EP with Don't Be a Stranger on it, and even our first full-length record, which is called House of Souls, that whole era definitely had like psychedelic influences. It was a little bit more it was kind of like strongly going for the indie pop thing. And I, I feel like there's a lot of it that still has in common with what we do now. But overall, I didn't really have a clear vision for what we were aesthetically until we did Marilyn Bell. So all that stuff I would consider our confused era.
3: <laughs> well, that makes sense because uh, the the track that pops out to me is Heavy Balloon because oh yeah, that's got this crazy like 60s meets 80s thing going on it's it's really i like it though i think because it's it's not two things that i I would have put two sounds that i would have put together but i like it
2: I think maybe i was influenced by a camera obscura that because they kind of mix 60s and 80s
3: sometimes okay. so, all right, yeah. so you, you mentioned merlin bell um so that album definitely sounds a little more focused a little more stripped back a little more maybe centered on on the on a country western sound like mm-hmm. But not not like you think of country western now. I'm thinking more like like Marty Robbins kind of yes, thing. Yes, exactly. And I, I I love it. And I I heard, I, I heard a few things about this album, so I want to ask you a little bit about it. I heard you have a PBR connection with this yes al- with that album. How what is what is, what yes. is the connection with with Pabst Blue Ribbon? <laughs> um. So after Heavy Balloon came out
2: we did some brutal tours and, and I just moved to Lockhart with Jason. And honestly, I was pretty sure I was done with music altogether. I had, I was opening a vintage store. We felt really discouraged after those tours. Wow. Uh, that album, we totally respect and appreciate the time and the place of it now, but it was really hard because it just didn't come out how we wanted it to and it was due to lack of a clear vision of like production and arrangement and we just really didn't know what we were we made this record we put so much energy and money into it and we just still didn't feel connected to what we were doing and then on top of that we had these like very brutal beatdown tours particularly the one on the east coast was so hard oh really and there was just a lot of stuff behind the scenes that just felt like the universe was telling us we weren't supposed to do this. So I pretty much quit music for I think around, I want to say it was like three years. And I kind of fiddled around a little bit with my nylon classical guitar in my room. And the little amount of music that I was writing was like much more intimate and tender and kind of like coming from this more honest place, rather than kind of goofy and entertaining and like Halloween themed and stuff like that. Like the stuff I was doing before.
3: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors.
5: Hey Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts.
0: Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts.
2: And so we really didn't intend to record it anywhere anytime soon. And then out of nowhere, we got contacted by Taps Blue Ribbon. So weird. We still don't even know why. (laughs) And they were just like, hey, guys. Um... We're just reaching out to a handful of Austin area bands that we like. And basically, we want you to do like a little video interview and a live performance at a show we're throwing. And in exchange for that, we'll basically pay for you to record a new record. Whoa. And we were like, what? This is crazy. And we're like, dang, I guess we better do it. (laughs) I mean, we don't really have an entire album's worth of material, but there's no timeline. Like the album doesn't have to be done on a certain date. The only prerequisite was that the money doesn't get sent directly to us because it's not like we can just spend it on whatever the heck we want. Right. So the money had to be sent to a producer with a studio. Okay. And so we reached out to Danny Rice, who we made Heavy Balloon with. And because he had just moved to Lockhart and we really needed to work with somebody in Lockhart because we needed to make the record at our own pace. It needed to be like one song a month so that I had time to kind of write new material. Okay. But we were a little hesitant at first because we had just made a record that we weren't super happy with with Danny and it by no means was his fault, but we were just wondering, gosh, should we do this with someone else for like completely fresh perspective? And then we came up with this idea, okay, let's do it with Danny, because he's really amazing at what he does, and he's really creative, but we don't want this record to sound too clean, which is my biggest complaint about the first record. It was too clean, too polished, too edited. Yeah. So you're like, let's create this limitation by recording the entire record exclusively on a Tascam cassette eight track that you'd like use to make demos at home. Oh, wow. Um, that way we're limited to eight tracks and mostly we have to get all the takes all the way through with very, very few punch-ins.
4: Right. Sorry, cat.
2: No problem. So, so Danny agreed to that and that's what we did. And it came out so great because we couldn't edit it that much. There's barely any punch-ins. It's just like there's a lot of little flaws in there, but it makes it sound really intimate and it basically sounds exactly how we wanted it to sound. Formula for
3: Poets Tooth. I believe I also read that you purposefully limited the instrumentation that you used on Merlin Bell as well. So and did you do the same thing for Poets Tooth? Because I hear some very interesting instruments on there, like a rotary phone and (laughs) some other interesting things that maybe you could find in a vintage thrift store.
4: to say which way the wind will blow we're two kids in a trench coat we got into the show it's not the eye that looks oh it's the lens that you're looking through gosh you did your homework <laughs> um <laughs>
2: Yes, we we had a more limited, focused palette. I feel like for Merlin Bell, we opened it up a little bit more for Poet's Tooth. I'm sorry, I have to see what the heck's going on yeah, here. No problem, Jason. No problem. Oh, never mind. It's Jason. I thought my cat was going crazy. <laughs> um, um, Poet's Tooth was like mostly using a really similar palette, but we expanded it a little more. Sorry about that. So, yeah, we had a we had a pretty limited palette for Merlin Bell. I want to say we kept it as close to 10 instruments as we could, and I think we did, but I'm not 100% sure. And we also were really particular about wanting every single song to contain an element that at least seemed vaguely medieval-ish to us. Okay. Or with or from like a classic old-school country realm at least one or both of those two flavors to kind of add to the cup whereas with poet's tooth we decided okay let's let's stay in the same world but let's expand it a little bit and in every song let's just do what truly works best for the song and if we have to push the limitation a little bit we will and we really enjoyed doing that with poet's tooth but i think that for our next record we might do something super limited again, just because there's something so challenging and inspiring about, about those limits, you know? And, and I think that there were some songs that took us a little too long to record because we had too many options. (laughs) So we let it go on and on for days and we're like, all right, it's time to rein this in and
3: like get it under control. You know, what is the writing process for the band? I mean, is it, basically you or you and Jason uh, and cause the band has progressively gotten smaller with, with the albums and mm-hmm. now the core is basically just you and Jason. So is it, are, are you just writing together or are the people in the studio, the studio musicians helping to uh, add some of the writing to it?
2: So we actually don't use any studio musicians. Oh, wow. um, so I, Jason and I have written songs together before and that does happen and we keep trying to prioritize that but for the most part on Poet's Tooth I I wrote all of the songs basically there was like a song that we went into the studio with but all I really do honestly is I go in I do a scratch vocal and guitar and then there have been You know a lot of times where i did end up playing some guitar on the record but for the most part jason plays almost all the other instruments wow and then danny definitely does stuff too danny's kind of like a third member of the band oh and he is super creative when it comes to all the percussive stuff especially if there's no drum set i mean when there's a drum set danny almost always plays it i think jason played drums on a couple songs but I feel like Danny gets extra, extra creative when we when the percussion comes from optogon and hand percussion. He really helps us like sculpt these sounds that we oftentimes wouldn't have thought of without him. And so I so it's only ever Jason, Danny, and myself these days that are oh. playing on the record.
3: That's amazing. Yeah. Are you guys using a lot of vintage instruments? Because you got a very older western sound, and it's i don't even want to say country western it's more it's more like western than anything Mm
2: -hmm. i I totally agree with you i think there's a a differentiation there it has like we always say like a 50s western lens because yeah it feels more that way than what you'd think of a country song sounding like but yeah I, i would say pretty much everything's vintage all the mics all the Equipment, all the instruments between what we own and what Danny has in the studio. It's all pretty much old stuff. Oh, that is, I think maybe the 12 string guitar is the exception. It's like a modern electric 12 string guitar.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I will let that slide. uh, It's all right. (laughs) So I have a question about, I guess the album in general, the album starts with young and free and ends with funeral. So it kind of sounds like a life cycle exactly okay so that is that's the theme throughout the the album because i also noticed a couple other interesting things popping up like vampires and unicorns zombies <laughs> and goblins so is that are you is that was that one of the things that you're still doing the, the uh the medieval as well as the, the western it's the country part i
2: mean yeah It's hard to say when it's just the songwriting process, I do think about kind of like the world, but sometimes that stuff just kind of flows too. I do have to point out there's one cover on the record um, and that is the the song The Unicorn is the first cover we've ever recorded on a record. An amazing artist named Peter Grudzian and he was considered kind of like a psychedelic country folk artist from Greenwich Village and he was gay and he also had schizophrenia oh wow um, he's a really interesting man and wrote so many amazing songs but we really both super connected with that song yeah and we had recorded it for like a future covers record, but we decided to put it on, po- on Poet's Tooth, the album, kind of after we recorded the song Poet's Tooth, because that song is kind of like a strangely poetic stream of consciousness vibe that's unlike the other songs. Yeah. And it suddenly felt like it was in the same family as the song The Unicorn, and we were like, gosh, I think The Unicorn's supposed to be on the regular full-length record. So yeah all the unicorns and zombies on that yes. song I didn't write that those <laughs> lyrics I just kind of felt in
3: sync with it. that makes sense it, it does fit perfectly I, I think it's I'm glad you think so I, you said I didn't obviously didn't realize it was a cover at the time so or at the time which would be right now so, <laughs> so. I was today years old when I, I found <laughs> out <laughs> exactly <laughs> was there a lot of um experimentation because I I mentioned, you know, you you guys use a rotary phone, but there's also like crickets and and background noises and stuff. Is that something that you guys like to embrace or, cause I don't remember hearing it all that much on the other albums. You're
2: right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was a new thing for us this time. I think we just wanted to create more atmosphere so that people felt like they were really inside a little world when they heard this record, you know, and those little details can make you feel a greater sense of visual orientation when you're hearing a song. Not everybody likes it. Some people would really prefer there's no cricket sounds in the song. They find it like distracting or whatever, but...
3: Oh, I love it. I love it. But But I'm into it too. Part of it was because I was listening to it on over the past few days on my ride home and it's getting, you know, I'm driving home and it's sunset and this is a perfect sunset album. This whole album is just like, Oh, cool. I like that. It is. It just, it just feels like you, it's, it needs to be listened to while you, you're watching the sun go down. So it's, it's, I, that's something I, I, I it's love. I'm so happy. It. I've got some, some definite favorites on this album and I just, I'm blown away a hard hearted way. I think that's my favorite On the album at the moment. Oh, cool.
4: That makes me happy. What a hard hearted way that you.
3: Jockey for position, broom horse, and funeral. Nice. Those are my my top three on the album, and I love broom horse. I mean, Broomhorse horse, you know, it's got the that's the one with the rotary phone, I believe, right? Oh, uh-huh, totally. Yes. And uh, one really interesting thing I thought about was eggs in one basket. That's kind of different for the album because you've got this funky bass thing going. I know. It's kind of like, it's not country western, it's like funky western.
4: They told you not to put all your A's Probably the weirdest song on the record,
2: considering what we've been doing, but it was also just so undeniable that we couldn't not put it on there because it's like so fun, yeah. But it's weird, it's like this song snippet that I wrote on a walk, and it was actually a song I think I was kind of working on for the early incarnation of Telenovela back when I was writing all the songs for the first record. Oh, wow! But I never finished it because I didn't know if it was good or not, and I kind of just like got the motivation to sort of finish it during the time that we were recording Poet's Tooth. And I still was feeling a little insecure about it. I was like, I don't know. Is this song any good? And then when Jason and Danny worked on the arrangement, I was like, Holy shit. The song is really catchy now. <laughs> I <like laughs> and, it. I, and I loved that. It was the first song we'd ever written where the chorus doesn't have any lyrics because the chorus is the instrumental. Dun 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 dun. Oh, God.
3: and and it was just fun to have that new switch up, you know. That is awesome. I, I didn't even think about that. Wow, I'm gonna go back and listen to it again now. <laughs> songs like "Hard Hearted Way" sound like it was written with a purpose. Like there's something mm-hmm. behind it.
2: Definitely, yeah. That's one of the more tender ones. I, I said there's several tender songs on this record. Yeah. And when I started letting myself venture into that world more with Merlin Bell, though it was those types of songs that I noticed people connect with the most. Then when I'm being silly or metaphorical. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I need to just open up a little bit more and really write songs that I feel like are for things for myself, but also things that we can all sort of relate to and kind of like dip my my heart into that space where it's a little bit more sharing of something that's sincere rather than tongue-in-cheek or trying to be clever or trying to be catchy you know yeah and um, and that one was the first one that we recorded for the record actually
3: oh wow mm-hmm. being basically a duo when you go in and in- Tour. Are you do you have the same group of people touring with you as far as extra musicians or are you keeping it as a duo for the most part?
2: We have tried the duo live thing and it wasn't a disaster, but well, it good. wasn't our favorite. <laughs> <laughs> We were kind of like, oh, this sort of works. We could do it if we need to, but we really prefer having a band. We have been super stressed out the last several months training. So we need a keyboardist who sings, a bass player and a drummer. And we have an entirely new crew right now. We We had a band when we toured with Heartless Bastards and it was mostly our friends Kyle and Camille who are a couple, and Kyle is an amazing bass player, Camille is an amazing drummer, and was singing. Oh, wow. And we couldn't quite find the right keyboard player that had enough availability, so we whittled the band down to a four-piece with no keys, and it still wasn't our favorite, but it was functional. Okay. And then Kyle and Camille got super busy with their country band, which is called Sentimental Family Band, and they both just got, like, 40-hour jobs now, like... <laughs> They've both gotten, like, raises and stuff, and they were like, guys, we love you, but this is way too much for us. Yeah. And I was like, no, our album release is in, like, three months. This sucks so bad. Uh, But they had to go, and we totally understand. It was such a bummer timing, but it is what it is. Yeah. And so we scrambled, and we found three really sweet people, and we've been working our asses off at practice. In fact, tomorrow... We have a very long, like four-hour practice, and it's our last practice before the album release on Saturday. Oh wow! And I'm really freaking nervous, to be honest with you.
3: Don't be, because this works out well for you. This how <laughs> telenovela started. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I guess that's a good point. But we're we're in we're in cahoots with a couple of bigger bands about getting some support slots in spring and fall oh, awesome. and I would certainly hope that it works out to where I can take the crew that we're working with now on tour but I also know how life is and it's always throwing random circumstances at me, so I can't say for sure what's going to happen, but yeah. but that would be lovely.
3: You mentioned Heartless Bastards. I love Heartless Bastards. I, I saw Heartless Bastards last time on the last tour. They came through D.C. because I, I lived just outside of D.C. Oh, okay. They were amazing. I'm a photographer and I got some of my favorite live concert shots at that show. It was just so awesome. How recently was that? Um... I want to say that was probably six months ago.
2: Oh, okay. Because we, I figured it was more recently because I know she's like a tour machine. Yeah. We opened for them in DC somewhere, but now I don't remember what it was.
3: Uh, she had the, the Watson twins, I think is the oh, cool! They, they opened up for. That. Very cool. Yeah, they were really good they're funny I was, wasn't expecting the, 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 to be, I wasn't expecting like half show half a little bit of comedy in there that was great
2: that's awesome when people are good stage banterers oh yeah that is not my forte
3: <laughs> well I'll tell you, you, you open up for the Heartless Bastards you guys come to DC and you and I will just talk at the show <laughs> okay. everybody, everybody else can just forget about it we'll just we'll just chat so. I love it alright so, so you are planning on going out with a full band Yes. I kind of. We caught off on a tangent. I don't remember what the hell I was going with this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, the yeah, I remember. It. So, do you guys tour often? Because I know you've got your own vintage store that that you run. I mean, is that hard to tour when you when you own your own business like that?
2: It's definitely tricky. Uh, there's pros and cons. I also have another location in Fort Worth which is three hours north from here. Oh wow so I'm a busy bee when I'm here and balancing the band and the business can be tricky at times for sure. I think the biggest challenge is honestly just like restocking while I'm on the road like the the inventory can kind of thin out because it's really hard for me to manage that when I'm traveling. Oh bet it's it would be ideal I don't know how our tours are gonna look for next year but it's definitely ideal when it's chopped up into segments like two weeks east coast two weeks west coast is like a few days in between because it gives me a minute to kind of like hurry around and get some things yeah. sorted out but the huge pro i have to say to owning your own business and being in a touring band is that you are continuing to support yourself with your regular job while you're on the road like with a lot of jobs You have to take time off and you don't have that income while you're traveling. Whereas in my case, my Square account for ringing up purchases is attached to my bank account. And so those sales are hitting my account on a daily basis while I'm on the road. Oh, awesome. So it's it's like I'm taking time off and there's compromises that have to be made with the store, but at least I'm not going completely freaking broke (laughs) after two weeks in while I'm, you know, in the van life and, and doing hotels and stuff. So I'm really, really, really grateful for that aspect of it.
3: Do you ever get a chance to scout out inventory for your shop while you're on the road? Not as many opportunities as
2: I really wish that I had, but I try to find a couple here and there. When we did the Heartless Bastards tour, I had one... I really didn't have time, but there was one day... I think it was a day off in Iowa City where I basically completely loaded up the van and the band was not too pleased with me because it it was really messy and insane in there for the rest of the tour.
3: Oh man. (laughs) Hey, you know, you're a business person. You gotta, (laughs) you gotta think of the store. Yes. What is the, well, all right. So by the time this drops, the album will be out. What is the best way for people to find the album, to buy it and help support, you're touring.
2: Um, I mean, I guess it's fairly standardized these days to some degree. We're really easily findable on Bandcamp, which is always a great way to buy records and support artists. I don't know how that's going to change because I heard that Bandcamp was just purchased, so I don't know the details of that. Oh wow! But um, at least for now, we still really love to use Bandcamp for selling our music. Also. We're on a label called Kill Rock Stars and their website, killrockstars.com, has the releases that we've put out on their, uh, sorry, on their label, which is um, our current record, Poet's Tooth, and the last one that we did, which is called Merlin Bell. So those are really the two most optimal ways, but there's a bu- there's a bunch of other ways, too. There's like Apple Music and all that stuff. Okay. And it's streamable in all the usual platforms. So, you know, you can find us pretty easy. We're on Instagram and TikTok.
3: Can you give any clues to this covers project you're working on? (laughs) We're only halfway
2: finished with that. So half of it is a mystery to me as well. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But we're mostly so far, it's mostly been more or less pretty obscure songs that we just really love. Oh, cool. Jason is a serious record collector and he um, sells and deals rare records for a living. Oh, wow. Um, is this gonna be an audio interview or video? Just audio. Oh, okay. Well, just for your benefit, really quick, it's like this is his private collection of stuff that's oh. just not even for sale. Oh, it's like our house is filled to (laughs) the brim with records. And then we have another back building that's two stories that's filled with all the inventory records.
3: Oh, my gosh.
2: Um, So we get to, you know, I get to really benefit from hearing a lot of really cool, deep cuts that I would not find on my own. And sometimes one really resonates. And I'm like, you know what, let's try that and see if our cover of it is cool or not oh, and we throw jelly to the wall to see if it sticks and some of them don't work out very well but most of them are keepers that's how that's going but our friends have been trying to talk us into maybe doing a couple non-obscure covers of songs people know <laughs> so we might we might uh actually experiment with that next
3: oh cool Songs people <laughs> all right i'm gonna kind of well i guess i guess i've told enough people about this I've started I've done a, an album and it's not me uh-huh. it's all podcast guests and oh, it's cool. for charity awesome. and it's all Spinal Tap covers
2: <laughs> okay
3: so I'll throw that out there if you guys are interested in doing a Spinal Tap cover so what I did was There's um, a
2: strong possibility that we would say yes to that
3: awesome so okay so here's here's what it is so I had a guest on uh, Lyle Heisen from the band uh, well he was in the band Das Damen, and he's got a new instrumental band out called the Rural Arctic Institute so we were just kind of chatting Das Damen did tons and tons of tribute albums in the 90s er, well 80, okay. 80s and early 90s because they were disbanded by like 92 but uh, <laughs> he said they were self-described tribute album whores anybody approached him to do a tribute album they're like yes we'll do it whatever so okay. <laughs> they were on one for the band, the Ruddles. And I was talking about how a brilliant of an idea that is because it's a tribute album for a band that didn't even exist.
2: In, totally. In I world. love
3: that. So we started talking and we think, did anybody ever do one for spinal tap? And I looked it up and no one, no one had.
2: That really surprises me. Actually. Well, That's interesting.
3: Some bands would do tributes to spinal tap, but no, never like a, of like a various like artists a- compilation. Oh. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, I started talking to him and he said, well, if you can get it together, my band will do one. Like, all right, you're on. So I've got to date I've So the original album, original soundtrack had 11 tracks. I've got all of those covered plus one song that a little, some little demo song that they did in the movie. That's not on the soundtrack and two songs from their second album Uh, break like the wind. I've, I've got, I've got somebody doing bitch school. And then the last, I'll tell you the last track in a second, because it kind of ties into all this. We decided the best way to do this would be to do it for a charity. The podcast network I'm on has connections with teen cancer America, which was founded by Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey. So reached out to them and they're like, yes, we love this idea. This because by that time I'd already had, 12 songs in hand and they were all mastered and ready to go. Wow. All the bands donated the songs. So, you know, they were usually recording something already. So they would figure a spinal tap song out, record it, send it to me. My buddy Jordan from the band blinker, the star donated all the, uh, the mastering and the, the mixing and the mastering. So got all those, they were thrilled. So we got <laughs> reached out to spinal tap and said, Hey, just in case I want you guys to, I want this to be all above board. So I want you guys to know that I'm doing this. Well, their management got in touch with me and, and wanted a meeting. So we had a meeting, told them all about the project. They went back and told the guys in spinal tap about this and they're on board. They endorse it now so it's nice. so, really cool yeah so if you guys are interested let me know because we still have some time before i need the deadline. to hear
2: it again it's been since so freaking long since i've seen that so i need to like hear the songs and remember my the only thing with me is like i have a really limited specific vocal range and so i really only do songs that i actually think that I can do or I don't feel embarrassed if it comes out. Well, if you're not, like,
3: talking, if, you, like if you listen
2: so to it. I them, need to hear it again and, and like pick one and be like, okay, which one is going to work with my voice, you know?
3: And if if you decide, and I, I've had a, like, I had uh Jimmy Necco and, and James Hall, they were going to do a song together. They, they're awesome. If you're, if you're not familiar with them, Jimmy, Jimmy Necco could, he could be a twin for Jeff Buckley vocally. It's, it's insane. Oh, but he, they're like really good friends. And they, they're like, well, we don't really see a song that would fit us. So if you, if you're in the same mind, you don't find a song that that you want to handle it. No problem. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there in case since you're already doing covers, it kind of,
2: yeah, I love the idea. That would be fun. So I'm going to talk to Jason about it.
3: What is the best way for people to follow Telenovela, the social media links or or a website that, that would be good?
2: Thank you for asking on the Instagram, which I think is always the easiest way to me. It's, uh, Tella t l e it's t e l e underscore novella with two l's underscore t x for texas so telenovela texas usually if you just type in our name it'll come up with our handle even though it's kind of a funky handle okay and then uh we're just telenovela texas on tiktok and we're on the Facebook and basically all the places. We're pretty active on, on social media, so we're pretty easy to find. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hopefully
3: we'll see you on the road some close to D.C. Yeah, I really hope so, too. It was great talking to you. You, Thank too. You Thank so- you so much. No,
4: you can't beat me at my own game.
0: What would you do to achieve the American dream—the big house, the happy family, the money? emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat?
4: Would I shop? Would I
0: shop? Would you kill?
4: Yes. (laughs) Mom and Dad, my mom and my dad.
0: From airship.